You're listening to a 9to5.cc podcast. Welcome to the Drink to Think podcast. Have a seat. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Drink to Think, a show about alcohol, cocktails, and how a drink might be able to make us better people. Today's episode is going to revolve around the cocktail, the gin fizz. We are going to talk about gin, the gin fizz, and also how to properly taste a cocktail, or rather, what to look for when you're tasting it. As always, there will be excerpts from the manga bartender to give a little bit of possible context to this cocktail, and we'll end it with a tasting. First, let's go on to how gin is made. Gin is a distilled alcohol that is flavored primarily with juniper berries. The base spirit can be made with almost anything, uh, from potatoes or wheat, like vodka, or rye, like rye whiskey, barley, like scotch, or corn, like bourbon. It can even be made with grapes, uh, from grapes like brandy. This is because when the spirits are made, they, regardless of their starting ingredients, are often completely flavor-neutral, except for the ethanol flavor of alcohol in it. And then with the base alcohol, you add juniper berries, and then there's lots of different other ingredients to gin. Between themselves, each gin has different flavors and probably has a different combination of botanicals. Some of the most common other ingredients in gin are coriander, licorice, citrus peel, cardamom, orris root, angelic root, Cup of berries, if I'm pronouncing that right. These are just some of the most common ones. <clears throat> you can have lots. You can, as long as it has a juniper base flavor, then you can pretty much add anything to the process and still call it gin. So once you flavor the base spirit with the with the juniper berries inside and any other ingredients, it is redistilled, which is heated so it becomes vaporized and then cooled back into a liquid form to make. Uh, flavored liquor. The process can be done a second time, making what is known as a double gin. So the flavor of one gin to another can be very different. Some even contain only a little juniper taste. Uh, there are many different types of gin. There are some labels to gin that can that can help you decide which might suit your personal taste. Let's go through the most common ones. Distilled gin means one of two things. One, Like most gins you can buy, the base alcohol has been distilled with juniper berries. Distilled gins can uh, also refer to some flavorings being added after the original juniper distillation. So in the second part of adding flavor to it, you would uh, soak uh, now-made gin with other ingredients and not necessarily distill it to make it a double gin. Distilled gin is usually made in comparison with what you might have heard of as called bathtub gin. Bathtub gin is uh, a gin that is not distilled, so you have a large neutral base liquor, and then you add juniper and other flavorings to it, and the flavor just seeps into the alcohol as opposed to being distilled. There's also London Dry, which is probably the most common type of gin that you've come across sometimes referred to as just London gin or dry gin, it means that nothing is added after the juniper distillation process, though possibly a little sugar. Up next is Plymouth gin. 
a gin that is made in one distillery in Devonshire town in Plymouth, England, which has a particular flavor, though the distillery does make several different types of gin. Now we can go to Old Tom Gin. This gin contains more sugar and is thus sweeter than, I guess, your London dry gins. Then you might have heard of Slow Gin, spelled S-L-O-E, not S-L-O-W. Uh, slow Gin is actually a liquor and is not a spirit technically because it, is, it has lower alcohol percentage, between 15 to 30 percent, and it's made with slow berries. Uh, in this, which is from the same family as plums. Uh, the gin itself is red in color, and I've actually never had the pleasure of tasting it, but I have had friends who have, and they say it's actually very pleasant. As was mentioned in our first podcast, the name gin is believed to come from a Dutch beverage known as Genevieve, or Yenever, which is made from junipers. Uh, Yenever can be the same strength in terms of alcohol as gin, but it also has a wider range. The word Yenever was eventually shortened to gin because English pronounces the G in Yenever as a strong G sound instead of a Y sound. And then the English eventually started calling it gin instead of juniper. Juniper was for a long time thought to be a potent medicinal ingredient. The ancient Greek physician Galen was known to prescribe juniper and alcohol at around 200 AD, uh, and juniper was carried around in 1340 because people believed it could ward off the plague. It has become popular in England for several reasons. In 1585, the English and the Dutch fought against Spain, and the English started getting a taste for juniper-flavored spirits. In 1689, however, the Dutchman William of Orange took the throne of Brittany, and drinking gin became all the rage because that was his drink of choice. In 1694, beer in England is heavily taxed, and which makes gin cheaper, allowing the populace to prefer gin as their means of intoxication. Fast forward a little bit to 1702, and Queen Anne makes it legally legally easier to create gin, and also more profitable. Gin, historically, actually gives a bit of a helping hand to equality, as women were forbidden in alehouses, but gin shops were more unisexual. Gin was also thought of as a bit of a revolutionary drink, because it was so widespread in England that there was a gin craze in the first half of the 18th century, and the lower classes would get drunk on gin and not work as a form of protest at their displeasure of the government's policy. How much of that was genuine protest and how much of that was alcoholism is up for debate, but it did get to the upper classes and they were very concerned, which actually led to many laws being passed uh, related to gin. Gin is the most mixed of all spirits as it is the base for the highest number of cocktails. Now, let's move on to one of the most famous gin cocktails of all, the gin fizz. History of the gin fizz. The first printed reference to fizz is in the 1887 edition of Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide. It contains six such recipes. The fizz became widely popular in America between 1901 and 1940. The popularity of the gin fizz skyrocketed after 1888, when Henry C. Ramos opened his Imperial Cabinet Bar in New Orleans and introduced his signature cocktail, 
the Ramos Gin Fizz, also sometimes referred to as the New Orleans Fizz. This drink is one of the most labor-intensive cocktails of all time, as it is shaken from 2, 5, 10, or 15 minutes. That's right. You can shake a cocktail for 15 minutes. Originally, it was shaken for about 12. Ramos apparently had 20 bartenders on staff just to have, just to have people to do the shaking and pass it on. So today in New Orleans, there are bars that serve it, and you can pay an extra fee depending on how long you want it shaken. <clears throat> Though this is a f often done by machines now, and so basically you're paying like a renting fee for how long you want your drink shaken. The reason for this crazy amount of shaking is because of the egg in the Ramos Gin Fizz, which allows the cocktail to come out with a sort of meringue-ish like consistency, and was just thought of as being quite high class. There's actually a lot of different gin fizzes, but the classic gin fizz contains 45 milliliters of gin, half a lemon, 10 milliliters of sugar syrup, and 80 milliliters of soda water. So you would shake the gin, sugar, and lemon together, mix that, let's say in a shaker for an average gin fizz, you know, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, and then you would pour it into a tumbler glass and add the soda on top. Uh, traditionally, actually, it uses super fine sugar, but, you know, sugar syrup works out pretty much the same. Now there's the silver fizz, which is the same ingredients, except you're actually adding an egg white, and then you would be shaking it for a bit longer, let's say around one minute to two, to get that egg emulsifier. The golden fizz is the same, except it has an egg yolk rather than an egg white. The slow gin fizz, which is the same, uh, contains no egg, whatsoever, but is made with slow gin. There is the royal fizz, which contains a whole egg. The diamond fizz, uh, there is no egg in it, and you just replace the soda water in it with sparkling wine. Then you come across the colored fizzes, which there is the green fizz, made with an egg white and a tablespoon of creme de menthe, and the purple fizz, which is made with slow gin and grapefruit juice instead of lemon juice. And of course, can't talk about gin fizzes without going to the most famous one the Ramos Gin Fizz. So not only is this cocktail labor-intensive, it also has quite a few more ingredients. You got your 45 milliliters of gin, then you got half a lime and half a lemon, 30 milliliters of sugar syrup, 60 milliliters of cream, one whole egg, three dashes of orange flower water, two drops of vanilla extract, and then eventually you would top it off with 25 milliliters. Of soda water. One little interesting factoid, the Tom Collins. Tom Collins and the Gin Fizz are very similar, and any bar that isn't super cocktail aware uh, would probably serve you the exact same thing if you ordered a Gin Fizz or a Tom Collins. The primary difference is that Tom Collins is traditionally made with Old Tom Gin, that slightly sweeter gin, and served in a Collins glass, which is a tall and thin glass, hence the Tom Collins, where a Gin Fizz is served in a tumbler glass, which is short and stout, and I guess usually would have, uh, I guess, a London dry gin. Now, also, some recipes call for a dash or two of Angostura bitters in the Tom Collins. How to judge a cocktail, or what to look for when you're taking a sip. Of course, it's important to consider that all of these factors that we're going to talk about are going to be influenced by your own personal tastes and preferences. So, what constitutes a good cocktail is sort of subjective, but there is something to think about while you sip. We're going to go through these, and um, I've set it up in such a way where there are five things to look at, and we're going to compare it to the fingers on your hand, so the hand that you're grasping the cocktail with, 
this, this is just an easy way to remember it while you're you know having a sip. Uh, there are probably more ways to judge a cocktail and different things to look for, but these are the things that I find most interesting and from my research is looked for fairly often, uh, well at least these things are looked for in cocktail judging competition. So it's a good place for us to start. First thing, or the thumb, or the rule of thumb, which isn't always going to apply, but is something to consider every single time you take a sip of a cocktail. Most cocktails have a base liquor that the cocktail is built around, right? Gin fizz is based around gin, often the name of the base cocktail is in it, but uh, so for instance, a martini would have either gin or vodka, and you're going to use that and your knowledge of that as like a starting point for what to think about when, you know, having a sip. One thing to search for is how the cocktail emphasizes the base liquor. Some drinks may be made in such a way as to hide the taste of liquor, but these cocktails are made for people who generally want to get drunk but don't like the taste of the alcohol. We're not going to be dealing with those kinds right now, and you're going to have to have a bit of a knowledge of what the base liquor tastes like. With the base liquor, it doesn't necessarily have to pack like a, a really strong punch of the alcohol, but what flavors of that base are you getting? And this will also help with the other four rules that are coming, but just keep that in mind. So if you're having a, something that's very scotchy or it's tequila based, how much of the tequila can you taste? Is it sort of muted at certain points? Is it not? Is it really sharp? Number two, or the index finger. This is going to be referred to as the beginning, middle, and end of a cocktail. When you take a sip of actually any liquor or I guess any drink, there's often a beginning and an end to it. So the end can be thought of as the aftertaste or just the end, yeah, or the last taste you have before the aftertaste. Uh, the beginning is obviously, you know, when you first put it in your mouth before you swallow. And the middle, sometimes there's a transition between flavors. Let's use the example of um, Campari. So if you ever had Campari, it starts off sweet, then it gets a little vermouthy, which that it's a, sort of a mix of different botanical flavors, and the finish is a strong bitter flavor. So in the old pal, the mix of Campari, rye, whiskey, and vermouth mix pretty well together. So it starts off sweet, and then you get uh, a taste of the rye mixed with the botanicals of the vermouth, and the Campari ends the cocktail with a very bitter flavor. Some cocktails may only have a beginning and end when you first try them, but the middle will become clear after a few more sips or may take a few more cocktails, hopefully not all on the same night. But some cocktails may just be like a race to the finish line where it starts off with a flavor and then goes right to the end. The more you know about the individual flavors, the more you'll be able to pick the different flavors. Basically just paying attention to how it starts and how it finishes, and if there's... A middle in between and there can be like several middle sometimes so if you have a mix of a lot of different flavors you might be able to taste one and then a little of another and then you know a mix of some other flavors and then it fades really fast or then it spikes up again this is just something to be aware of when you're tasting it third rule to think about is uh, or the middle finger is the transition or melding now if you pick out the flow of different flavors so the beginning, middle, and end, you can start assessing how they go from one to the next and how they're, they intermingle. Does the flavor jump from one to another? If you mix half water and half whiskey and drink it straight away, 
you may be able to first taste water and then the whiskey jumps right in. But if you mix it and let it sit for a bit, the water will meld with the scotch and you know, bring out some of the flavors that the strong alcohol taste covers up. So how does one flavor move to the next? Now things to consider is, does it flow or does it jump? In general, the more it flows, the better, just because it takes more attention to make a smooth transition in flavor when building a cocktail. Perhaps your personal tastes are like you just want, you know, the taste of orange juice and then vodka. Um, a screwdriver in that regard would be really good for you, and you might want to find the right type of vodka and the right type of orange juice that makes like straight jump or makes a smoother transition. You know, it's totally up to your preferences. But if somebody is making cocktails, generally they're going to try and give a transition that's a little smooth so it doesn't feel like you're drinking three or two different things at once. Do the flavors mix well together or are they very distinct? Is it like you're drinking all the ingredients separately with one sip or does it mix and mingle and make some more complex flavors? Maybe it makes like a completely new drink that you wouldn't have thought of like of the ingredients on their own and they work really well together. Uh, does it taste like you were drinking lemon and gin or more of like a lemony gin? Fourth rule to think about is enhancement. So this is going to be the ring finger. This can be difficult to assess on the onset and requires that you know the individual ingredients fairly well. A good example of this is Hendrix gin. When you have Hendrix gin and tonic, it contains cucumber and cucumber on its own is not a particularly strong flavor. Many flavors could mask up the flavor of cucumber or something. But with this particular mix, both the flavor of cucumber and the gin becomes more pronounced. You can really taste the cucumber and it blends very well with the botanicals in the gin, allowing you to taste the more subtle flavors in actually both of them. So if a, a cocktail does enhance an ingredient in either, you know, either in the spirit or another part of the concoction, um, what is it? Am I tasting more of a, like a pepperiness, an earthiness, oak, citrus, coffee, cherries, ginger? Think about the ingredients and what they're made of. What flavors that jump out uh, to you while you're having the cocktail? If you're using a complex spirit like gin, it's a good idea to read the back of the bottle to see what the flavor profile is, or look it up online and see what botanicals besides juniper are used inside the creation of it. So whenever you have a sip of something, what are the flavors that I guess mainly jump out to you? And are those flavors normally so pronounced in just the, the individual ingredients? So this is something else to think about. Last little rule. The way this rule should have been number two, or even number one, because you should start with this, but I'm leaving it to the last one, or the pinky finger, because it's often something you don't think about. And what we're talking about is the nose, or the smell of the cocktail. You often don't think of sniffing a cocktail like some people would sniff a scotch or a wine. The smell, or the nose, of a cocktail can be an important factor. There are techniques used in cocktails that are specifically there for the smell. For instance, bitters impart some flavors into a drink, but they also provide a lot of smell, especially when they're added at the end and not mixed, so they're still on the top, then bitters are often there just to like really impact the smell. Another example is when you spritz alcohol through a spray bottle with an aerator and that's mainly for the nose. So you might have come across very dry martinis are often gin with vermouth just sprayed on top of the gin and then served. And there's also a trick where you use citrus peel and you squeeze it 
over the top of the glass at the, at the end of the cocktail just to give a strong citrus smell. Also, if you spray the citrus oils onto the ice uh, that's floating on top of it, the citrus oils actually stick to the ice and give it more of a smell. It's very important to at least remember the nose when you're having a cocktail. A lot of our sense of taste comes from our sense of smell. And when someone was really putting some effort into the creation of a cocktail, not only would the taste be a reminder of it, but if the specific smell has some sort of impact, that's important. Rules to remember when grasping a cocktail. Thumb, the base spirit. How does it affect it? Index finger, the beginning, middle, and end. The middle finger, transitions. How are the transitions between flavors? The ring finger, enhancement. Does any of the mixture enhance a particular part of the cocktail so that a specific flavor jumps out at you? And five, or the pinky finger, the nose. How does it smell? I hope these rules are helpful. Now let's have a bit of a story. Now into the part which brings a bit more of the think into drink to think, the story section. Just to reiterate the point of all this, the idea is that you can sip the cocktail and reflect on the story, or maybe, you know, one day you'll just randomly be drinking the cocktail, have it in your hand, and it makes you pause for a second and think about the history of the cocktail or the alcohol. Or maybe, just maybe, you'll remember a little bit about the story and help you to be a little contemplative about your own life. Or maybe it's just a reason to drink. doesn't matter, you know, there's, there's certainly no right or wrong answer when it comes to thinking when having a drink. If you make a little bit of association, and if you can just connect a story to something and it makes you pause and think about stuff, then hey, it just makes life all that much more interesting. Eh? All right, so this story revolves around being able to take criticism. One thing about the story before we begin, there's a section of it that deals with Japanese writing system, kanji. Kanji is a calligraphy which is made up of combining symbols to create new words. Um, so I'm definitely a complete amateur when it comes to kanji. Actually, I know basically next to nothing about it. We're going to kind of hurriedly rush over a little part of the story which deals with kanji and how it's and how the word personally is broken up but I think it should be clear enough for you to get the basic idea of what was being uh, trying to be conveyed. With this story, we are meeting for the first time Ryuichi Kuzuhara, who is the bartender known as Mr. Perfect, or I guess it wouldn't be unfair to say that this guy is kind of the counterbalance to um, our protagonist, Ryu Sasakura, uh, where Ryu is young, kind-hearted, a little mischievous and kind of arrogant. Uh, Mr. Perfect is an older man who is very rigid and strict, doesn't seem to have any humor, and is kind of just interested in creating the perfect cocktail. We are first introduced to him as uh, Miwa attends a gala with her grandfather. The gala is, is to give the bartender, Mr. Perfect, some sort of award because he is an extremely respected bartender in Japan. He is cordial to his guests, but we find that he soon fires a bartender that has been working under him for five years because he is stirring a drink improperly. That is uh, improperly for Mr. Perfect. I don't think anyone else would say uh, he has murdered the ice, as Mr. Perfect said to this guy. But, you know, let's just take him as a master of his profession and being fairly strict on things. Mr. Perfect ends up making the drink himself, and everyone is amazed at how graceful of a job he does. He mixes the ice without, I guess, making the glass 
make a sound, and he's extremely deft with his hands. A real super professional bartender. This guy knows everything in and out. He makes Miwa a martini, and according to Miwa, Miwa, it was one of the best martinis she's ever had, though she did comment at one point that it did seem a little tired. Shoot ahead a few hours, and Miwa and her grandpa, uh, that's the fussy old man from the old pal episode, they are sitting at Ryu's bar, Lapin. There's some interesting discussion about bartending, but as you know, I only ever give away part of the story when I'm spinning a tale from this manga. If you ever want the full story, please go and read it yourself. Absolute excellent read. After a little while, who walks in but Mr. Perfect in his civilian clothes? The other bartenders know who he is, but Ryu doesn't know, or perhaps doesn't care if he does know. Uh, Mr. Perfect sits down beside the old man and asks to have a gin fizz. This strikes Miwa as odd, as it is such a simple drink. If Mr. Perfect wanted to test someone's skill, it seems like a waste of an opportunity. Mr. P asks Ryu, who invented the gin fizz? Uh, Ryu says, Henry C. Ramos invented it in 1888. Now we know that Ramos did not invent the simple version of the gin fizz, as the recipe can be found in a bartending book from 1887, but let's just leave that aside, although it, um, it's important to note that Mr. Perfect does not receive a, a Ramos fizz, but just a classic gin fizz. So Ryu is then asked, where the fizz in gin fizz comes from, and he responds, it is the bubbles in the water, so that little fizz fizz sound. And then he serves him the drink. Mr. Perfect is given the drink to enjoy. He sips it, and might be one of the only people in the series that does not have like a shocked expression on the face after tasting the first sip. Though, he does seem impressed, but he does say the cocktail is very good. The interesting thing is that he tastes something a little different. He analyzes the taste and smell and sees that there are a few drops of uh, Cuban rum in the gin, gin fizz. He asks Ryu if this is his special variation on the gin fizz. No, Ryu responds. I just thought that a bartender such as yourself would appreciate something a bit different. Everyone is taken aback, as Ryu should not know who Mr. Perfect is. How did you know I was a bartender? Actually, there are two reasons. One, an experienced bartender in Japan would commonly test a new bartender by ordering a gin fizz because the kanji symbol of gin fizz contains all the fundamental strokes of calligraphy. Likewise, a gin fizz can be used as a test because it measures a bartender's ability to, with a shaker, with ice, alcohol to fruit ratios. And two, you have a callus on your right pinky that is likely, that likely comes from using a cocktail shaker frequently. So why did you change the cocktail, asked Kusuhara. Now, being a longtime bartender, you're constantly judging and criticizing the drinks that are in front of you. You probably never drink alcohol for pleasure and probably only as part of your job. I would like it if you could if you could sit at my bar and enjoy a cocktail as a customer, that you could be surprised by a cocktail and enjoy the experience. So that is why you put rum in this gin fizz? Oh, no, I didn't put rum, sir. I put wasanban to. Uh, this is a high-grade Japanese sugar used in gourmet sweets. So Ryu switched out the fine sugar for wasabando. So uh, the old man sort of chuckles and says, Mr. Perfect has been outdone since he thought it was rum and he was tricked and that it was actually um, specialty form sugar. And after finishing the drink, Mr. Perfect gets up and leaves the bar. As he exits, he says, you're an interesting bartender. In my opinion, your cocktails are still far from perfect. Dum-dum-dum. 
All right, so that's the starting of, I guess, the clashing of two worlds between Ryu's style of bartending and Mr. Perfect's style of bartending. Interesting little story. What can we pull out of the story? Uh, one, it's very good to work hard at what you do, right? So it's good to have some passion about it. It's good to work hard. But sometimes if you think that your way, your way of doing things is the only way to go, then you're cutting yourself off from some positive experiences, like Mr. Perfect not being able to enjoy being served drink so much, and that he's always in you know, his same mind state. When, if you can shift your mind states a little bit, then you might be able to appreciate things or learn something from it. And two, Ryu is kind of arrogant in this story, as he thinks he can change someone with just a drink, but, you know, it's, I guess, we could take that more of out of from kindness than from arrogance. However, it is important to know that Mr. Perfect's comment was not malicious, but it was quite a bit of truth to it. We'll find out why in the next episode when we deal with the Manhattan and the, these two characters meet again. Ryu, I guess, in his own way is a little rigid, so I guess both sides have their way of approaching things, and it's important not to get too stuck in just one way. Obviously, it's kind of hard to take a new approach every time, but to give yourself a little bit of personal skepticism and a little bit of ability to to move around is often not a bad thing. I mean, having confidence in your ability is certainly important, but you don't want to be too strict with yourself because you lose out on some possible interesting experiences. So in general, let the gin fizz remind you that you are never too old to take criticism or too young. And just as there are many variations on the gin fizz, so too are there many ways to approach a challenge that is set in front of you. If you are stuck in something, then one way to move forward is to remember the basics. But it's also important to listen to the people around you. So you need to listen to people who are younger than you that might have interesting ideas, but you also certainly need to listen to the people who have experience around you. Because, you know, if they were if they're really passionate or if anyone's really passionate about something, and also if you're willing to listen to people, you're probably just better off in general. Hey guys, why don't we move on to uh, tasting this cocktail? I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Now we're on to the tasting portion of our podcast, where we will be trying the regular gin fizz, the golden gin fizz, and the Ramos gin fizz. Mm. The regular gin fizz is... A mix of sugar syrup, lemon juice, gin, and soda. The same thing goes for the golden fizz, except with a with two minutes of shaking and the addition of a egg yolk. And the Ramos gin fizz has a whole lot of ingredients in it, which we said earlier in this podcast. Joining me today will be, <laughs> or my tasting partner today will be the lovely Emily. Hello, that's me. That's this is Emily. Um, <laughs> is there anything you want to promote about yourself? Or I like gin. Yes, she likes gin. I am not a huge fan of it, so... I also like citrusy drinks, so mm-hmm. this sounds right up my alley. So at least one of us will have an impartial reaction <laughs> to these drinks. All right, so let's start off with the regular gin fizz. Emily, if you would gin start. Fizz. It smells lemony. A little sweet. I can smell the gin. Hmm, that's nice. 
Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sugar sort of cuts through some of the lemoniness, though it is still really lemony. Very good summer drink. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the addition of the soda is later, it's not too bubbly at all. No. Yep. That's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I definitely um, taste the gin. I must compliment you on your choice of glassware as well. Yes. Yes. We got this uh, through Emily's grandparents, who were lovely enough to send us a giant package of... Oh, and Emily's parents, <laughs> who uh, sent us a giant package of glassware. Crystal. Of crystal. Crystal. Over Christmas? Just before Christmas. Just before Christmas. Um, in terms of the judgment part of this podcast, which is a new aspect to uh, the whole tasting. So we can taste the gin. The beginning is... I'd say it's a little sweeter at first. Yeah. You get so, the citrus up front and but the sweetness as well. Mm-hmm. It sort of tastes like a ginny lemonade. Because mm-hmm. you get the, the herbalness of the herbaliness yeah. herbalness of the gin afterward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can't taste the sugar too much, but the lemon really mm-hmm. pops out. So it's in terms of... It certainly enhances the lemon. Or maybe it's just because there's so much of it in it. Oh. And it's not... It's not crazy, Ginny, but you know it's there. Mm-hmm. I like my drink strong. Yeah. And as Emily commented before, the smell is very nice, but you still can't smell that much gin in it. No. All right. Let's try the golden fizz, which, okay, obviously when you're working with eggs, you want to make sure that they're good eggs. Uh, you give them a smell <laughs> beforehand and have a good look at them. Um, wash the outsides of your shells because that's usually where salmonella actually lies. But generally, the risk of raw eggs is actually pretty small. Mm-hmm. Fresh eggs from a good source. It's actually pretty creamy. It looks pretty. Yep. It's got a soft, buttery yellow. Mm-hmm. And there's a foam on top because mm. of the uh, soda water. This one seems a little sweeter, actually. A little sweeter, and I don't taste the gin as much, but it's nice. Yeah, and there is uh, the same amount of gin in all of these, which is 45 milliliters. And the lemon, I guess the egg and the lemon sort of cut into each other because yeah. it doesn't really taste eggy. No, but, definitely doesn't taste eggy. But it. But that that foam taste on top lemon. is is nice and creamy. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me. Well, that would make sense. Reminds me of lemon curd. They both well, could. That's what it is. There you go. Egg yolks and lemon and sugar. And the beginning, middle, and end of it. It ends lemony. The middle is creamy and it starts off sweet. I guess. Yeah. So, and. No real enhancements, so the lemon is pretty there. Oh, hello, cat. Kitty <laughs> wants some, too. So for the Ramos Fizz, I did not shake it for the full 12 minutes. I only shook it for eight, where God. yeah, where six of the minutes, and Emily helped, um, <laughs> six of the minutes are done uh, with just the ingredients within them. And then after that, for two minutes, I added ice, because you're supposed to do it with just the ingredients first to emulsify the egg. And after you add the ice to cool it down and, I guess, give it a bit more water. Um, I did do one misstep in this, in that you were supposed to use sugar and not sugared syrup for the traditional Ramos Gin Fizz, because apparently the granules of the sugar will help the emulsification Mm -hmm. process. I did not, because I did not have super fine sugar, but uh, it should still taste pretty good. Why don't you have the first sip? Mm -hmm. Looks like a milkshake. I also may have added a bit too much of vanilla and orange blossom water. It's the orange blossom water that I taste. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty nice, though. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, it looks like a milkshake. It sort of starts off feeling like a milkshake, but it's definitely more liquidy. But this is 
definitely thicker and frothier than the golden uh, yeah. gin fizz. Although using the super fine sugar might, I, I don't know, I, I wonder if it would make it creamier like a meringue. Yeah, because that's what you're supposed to get out of this is that's supposed to be very, very meringue-y. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just didn't... You get that a little bit, but that could just, it could be from adding the ice, the water. Yeah. The water could have diluted it. Maybe I shook it for too long. Perhaps I only should have done it for one minute, but um, still pretty good. Mm -hmm. Not complaining. The smell is definitely of orange blossom water. Yeah. So I probably added a bit too much of that because it was supposed to be three dashes, but I don't have it. It's just a bottle I have. So I poured about what I consider to be five milliliters into it. And then I also added a bit too much vanilla because there was also not a dash function on it. But can you taste the lemon or lime? Definitely taste the lemon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the lime's kind of hidden. Maybe I taste the lime. Yeah. Although they're so similar. Yeah. It's hard to... It's a little hard to distinguish. You can definitely taste the orange blossom water. And the vanilla, I don't... You get a little bit of that sweetness, I think, mm-hmm. the vanilla. Though, honestly, not that ginny. Mm-hmm. It's reminding me of something, though. Some kind of candy. It definitely smells vanilla And that aftertaste, you, you do get the tartness. Yeah. But it's a creamy tartness, so it's kind of... Interesting. It's kind of reminding me of those what, those candies. I don't know if they still make them that were the strawberries and cream or oranges and cream. Oh, yeah. And, and like they were sort of swirled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like Campion or something. Camp, Camp, I want to say Campari, but Probably I know not. that's not it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fan of gin, but except for the time it takes to make these, I would certainly drink this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make me the, the regular one whenever you want. All right. So it actually, it gets pretty sour, but not really sharp sour. It's sort of a mix of sour and cream. It's almost like a... Creamsicle. Buttermilk? Or, yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. It kind of tastes a bit like a creamsicle. A little bit like, you get a little bit of lemon meringue. Yeah. Pie. Yeah. Flavor. It, it's kind of a lemon meringue pie cocktail. Which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty which good. Can, which never hurts. Mm-hmm. Should it also be noted that you were using Bombay Sapphire? Yes. Uh, so, so I was using so a so lemon many... dry gin. Gins, so many different gins can have such a different flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you were to make this with Hendrix or Slow Gin or Beef Eater, yeah, yeah. Emily is not a fan of Beef Eater. To each their own. Uh, my parents <laughs> really enjoy Beef Eater. I've never really enjoyed. I think gin. it's the guy in the silly hat I don't like. Well, I guess you don't want to go to England then. <laughs> but if I wake up with Salmonella tomorrow. Well, I guess we both will. Yes, so. So neither of us can take care of each other. <laughs> um. So yes, here's to uh, not getting salmonella mm-hmm. thank you again everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed uh, enjoyed the podcast next episode will be on the manhattan Ooh. and a large focus of it because we have focused on alcohols in previous podcasts a fair amount of it will be on the discussion of bitters and what they are and i might even go into how to make them as always thanks for listening and here's to you my friends That's gonna work now It's gonna have to include Free surgery and technology Gotta have it all for free Gotta have it all for free Free surgery and technology You can get it implanted when you go to sleep Yeah, they cut off a leg Put it back on One time 9to5.cc. We're not working. Why should you? Thanks for listening.